So we are in week four of our series, New Beginnings. And so far we've talked about letting go and how Moses had to let go of so many things. We talked about leaning in and hearing from God. Jen shared about holding on. And now I'm going to talk about moving forward today. I just watched the movie First Man. I don't know if you've seen that movie about the first moon landing and Neil Armstrong. It's based off of kind of his life and him being the first man on the moon. And just watching the movie, I was amazed how much it took to move this space program forward and to set these ridiculously high goals to accomplish things that would never even seem possible. The amount of resources, engineering, experimentation, even loss of life that it took to get to the moon is incredible. And I remember even hearing, and this is a famous speech from that time that JFK gave where he said, we choose to go to the moon Not because it is easy, but because it is hard. And most of us probably know that line. But moving forward with space exploration is an incredible feat. But just look at your own life. What are things in your own life that you've sensed you need to move forward in? It might be simple things like health and diet and exercise. Or it might be more complicated things like career, family, financial planning. And moving forward can be challenging. It can be hard. Moving forward takes faith. And it means that we'll take risks in our life. Moving forward means that once those things that we considered normal, maybe in the future will not be normal anymore. Moving forward also gives you that connotation that there is a past and I'm now moving forward into a new and different future. One of the statements by the Christian Missionary Alliance in their core values is faith-filled risk. Achieving God's purpose means taking faith-filled risk, and this always involves change. Moving forward is hard. Moving forward isn't always safe, and it is going to take risks. I've seen as I've gotten older, maybe some of you look at me as young and some look at me as old, but as I've gotten older, there's a tendency within me to take less risk. And I think that's natural as we get older. I remember when I was younger, and I still don't mind doing it, but I loved to strap anything that had a board on it to my feet, a skateboard, snowboard, wakeboard. And for me, I loved anything with board sports. We actually built a launch ramp on our street when I was young. It was about three feet high, and we lived on a hill. So we'd go up to the top of the hill, get as much speed as possible, because the goal was to get as high off that ramp as possible. And we'd come flying down that hill and hit that as hard as we could and just go flying in there. Yes, I did land it many times, and yes, I did bail many times. But for me, it was always kind of doing bigger When I'd go snowboarding, I'd find the biggest jump. And I'd be like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to hit this thing. And so I'd go off it, and whether or not I landed it or not wasn't the point. Wakeboarding, same thing. I'd try things that I knew I couldn't do because I just wanted to see, maybe maybe I can learn to do this. But as I've gotten older, those bales now caused me to take more ibuprofen and have longer recovery times. And now when I look at it, I'm like, risk versus recovery time. So I still love doing things like that, but I sense I don't want to take as great of a risk. 
Or even think about in finances, if you have anything invested in the stock market, they actually have accounts that as you get older, the risk level goes down. And so it can be natural as we get older to simply not want to take risk. And if we're not careful, we can wake up one day and maybe not even realize that we're no longer living, but simply just surviving. And then we think about God speaking to us and God challenging us, God moving us to take risk and step out in faith. And it often seems much easier to simply go with the status quo, leave it as it was, and not allow God to disrupt our lives. Fortunately or unfortunately, God is a disruptor. And he has ways of disrupting us. And when God is moving, change happens. And we have to be prepared to move when God is moving. Think about Moses' life. The first 40 years was spent in Egypt. He got to be part of the ruling class, even though he was from the slave class. The next 40 years were spent in a place called Midian. And he was a shepherd and a family man. And at 80 years old, perfect time to get called by God, right? 80 years old, God calls him and says, I want you to lead my people, over a million people, out of the land of Egypt and into this land that I promised to them. Moses had a host of excuses why he was the wrong guy and why God should take somebody else, but he chose to go. And forever his life in the nation of Israel was changed. What season of life are you in? Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're still in school or in college or university. Maybe you're a young adult, middle-aged, single, married. Maybe you have a family or you don't have a family. Are you, are you in the midst of building a career or maybe winding it down and making sure that you can just make it to retirement? Whatever season of life you're in, there's always reasons we can find not to move forward with God. There's always reasons we can find why it's not the right, it's not the perfect, at this point, I'll do it. You might say things like, when I finish school, when I pay off debt, when I get married, when the kids are gone, and often we just put it off to some future date, believing that when we arrive at that date, somehow we'll be able to serve God then, when in reality, God is calling us to serve him now and follow him now. And if you don't move forward today, You will not get to God's destination tomorrow. If you don't move forward today, you're not going to get to God's destination tomorrow. Because that future point, that moment you're looking towards in the future, if you're not obeying God today, how can you get to that magically in the future? So let's dig in a little bit into the life of Moses, the people of Israel, and also God's plan for us in the midst of this. And and realize in all of these stories, The real hero is God. And so we're learning from this whole context, but ultimately this pointing back towards God. So at this point where we're going to arrive today in this story, the nation of Israel has left Egypt. On the Bible timeline, they are in the Exodus. They're not yet in the conquest. The conquest is when they actually enter the land and Joshua and Caleb help them to get established in the land that God promised them. So we are still in the Exodus. There's much to celebrate 
The nation has come out of Egypt. God has parted the Red Sea. They have crossed and they're standing on the other side. And when the Israelites left Egypt, God went before them. He went before them in this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So they literally had the manifest presence of God leading them out of the nation. Now, as they arrived at the shores of the Red Sea before God parted it, God's presence went to the back of this nation and protected them from the Egyptians who were chasing them so that they could cross the Red Sea. And God protected them. And after they crossed the Red Sea, God's presence continued to go with them. Now, as they travel, they arrive at Mount Sinai and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, along with a whole system of law and societal structure for the nation of Israel. In the midst of giving all these rules and commands and instructions, God also downloads a blueprint to Moses for the tabernacle, or the tent where God's presence was going to be in the middle of the nation of Israel. And so if you look at this picture behind me, you can see that there's a tent and there's all little tents all around it. And so God's presence literally was centered in the camp of the Israelites. A million people encamped around the presence of God. When they went to bed at night, there was a cloud, and then it turned into a nightlight of fire, and they woke up to the presence of God in the middle of their camp. God is visibly present leading this nation. We read in Numbers 9, Verses 19 to 23 about God's presence, and it states, If the cloud, God's presence, remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days, as the Lord commanded. Then at the Lord's command, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and lifted the next morning. But day or night, when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the cloud stayed above the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. So wherever and whenever God's presence was moving, the people of of Israel were moving with him. This is a million people. Imagine you're a family person. You set up your little camp, your tent. You're getting ready for dinner. The cloud has just settled down and it starts moving again. And you're like, okay, pack it back up. Let's go, kids. Or imagine you don't like your location at the camp. And God decides that you're going to be there for a year or two years. But whenever the cloud or fire started moving, the whole camp, million plus people, packed it up and started moving with God. And here's a simple principle. When God is moving, follow him. When God is moving, follow him. For Israelites, this was blatant. They had fire, they had smoke, and they followed it. For us, it can be a little bit more nuanced. But Moses was so convinced that he needed the presence of God leading him and the nation that this is what he says in Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16. He says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. 
How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Moses was so convinced that if God was not moving, he was not moving. And the nation of Israel was not moving. So what about you? Think about your life. How is God moving in your life? And do you have a heart like Moses saying, if God is not moving, I'm not going there. Or if God is staying, I'm staying. For us, it's not as obvious as a pillar of cloud or fire. It it might be convenient if you walked out in the morning on your way to work and there was a cloud there and you're like, okay, I know where I'm supposed to go. But that's not the reality for us. It's much more nuanced and challenging, but I think there are principles when we look at how do we follow God and his lead for our life. And I, I believe first, does it align with the Bible? Where you're going, does it align with the word of God? Because God will not lead you contrary to his word. If your lifestyle doesn't align with the word of God and you're saying, well, this is God leading me. No, it doesn't work that way. So you have to know God's word to know if your life aligns with his word. Next, do we know God's peace and presence? The Israelites saw God's presence manifest in front of them. And according to the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, we read that the Holy Spirit comes to reside within everyone who has said yes to Jesus. So we have God within us. And it says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. That we are to be guided and led by the Spirit of God. And as we are led by the Spirit of God, he will give us his peace. So we have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God, and also we have the people of God. Have you sought the counsel of people you trust? Now, this isn't just like turning on Oprah. This is finding people who know you, know the word of God, who you trust spiritually that can speak into your life. When big decisions come up, do you have people you can go to that you know are spiritually on the same page as you? And will not just tell you what you want to hear, but will actually speak the truth of God into your life. So we might not have a pillar of fire or cloud, but we have the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God that can help us to move forward with God. Well, moving forward sounds great, but listen to these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Normally, it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by the way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. Did you catch that? An 11-day journey has taken them 40 years. 40 years. You think a delayed flight is bad? You think the beltway is bad? An 11-day journey has taken them 40 years. Here's a little map for you. So Mount Sinai is at the bottom. It's the eighth stop on the journey. And from that bottom stop, it took them 40 years to get to where God was leading them. 40 years. And, And here's a simple idea here. Moving forward is not a direct route from point A to point B. Don't you wish life worked like that? 
that God gives you an idea or God says you're going here and it just naturally, man, this is a clear route from point A to point B. And often when we step out in faith, we think it's going to work like that. We have this picture, we have a timeline, we have an idea of what it's going to look like, but in reality, it's a lot more meandering and nuanced and difficult to follow God's lead. I remember back in the year 2000 when I lived in England, God giving me ideas for and incredible experiences living in a multi-ethnic community. I remember as I moved to uh, Wisconsin in a very mono-ethnic community, how God began to give me a, a vision for being part of a multi-ethnic church. And then I waited another three years until God opened up an opportunity for me to come here. And I still see God has greater things planned for us, but it's much more nuanced and meandering, but I see God's hand at work. And moving forward is not always this direct route from point A to point B. But what are the reasons that it took this nation so long to get from point A to point B? Well, we'll see the greatest reason in a little while in the exact instance, but I believe the largest reason was complaining, rebellion, and lack of faith. Complaining, rebellion, and lack of faith. The Israelites literally were free from oppression from the Egyptians. They had just crossed the Red Sea and three days in, they start complaining. It start, this complaining starts in Exodus 15 and it's through the rest of the books of Moses. The people complain about no water, no food. They complain about Moses and his leadership. And then Moses complains to God about the people. Then on top of all this, they rebel against God. They make idols, they mutiny. And the people just lose focus. They're all over the map and they lose that there's a destination that God is taking them to. And they stop believing that God is the one leading them and God's the one taking them somewhere. Listen to these words of complaint. This is three days after the Red Sea. God's presence is with them. And this is what the people say. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. This is day three. How quickly they forgot that they were slaves. How quickly they forgot the oppression, the hard treatment. And it's easy for us to forget and look back and think, those were the good old days. And following God are not the good old days. And it's easy to become disillusioned and miss that God is leading us. Well, for the nation of Israel, the complaining got so bad that God began to pour out his wrath and judgment on them. He punished them with plagues and death. And if it wasn't for Moses interceding again and again for this nation, they would have been wiped off the map. Moses continually went back and said, God, show mercy. God, don't kill them all. But the pinnacle of this complaining is when Moses sends 12 spies into the land that God has promised. These 12 spies go in, they scout out the land, and they come back with a report. 10 of these spies come back and say, there's no possible way that we can go into this land that God promised us. There's giants there. They will annihilate us. There's no possible way. There's two that come back with a good report. 
But from the 10 negative reports, the people complain. And this is what they say in Numbers 14, 1 through 4. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Ouch. Complaining combined with a lack of faith will stop you from moving forward. Complaining combined with a lack of faith will stop you from moving forward. The people were on the edge of the land that God had promised to them. And they listen to a bad report and it stops them in their track. Well, what happens to the people of Israel? Well, God speaks to them and says, because of your unbelief, you will now wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And where do we get the 40 years from? God said, for every day that these spies scouted the land, which was 40 days, you will now wander for one year in the wilderness. One day was translated to one year in God's economy. And so God allowed the nation to wander for the next 40 years until the whole generation of people who did not believe, who lacked faith, who didn't trust God, would die off. Well, when they hear this news, the nation of Israel decides, wait, hold on, we want to take the land now. And so they say, we're going in the land. And, and, and God is like, I am not going with you. I'm not going with you. And so the nation tries to move into the land. They're soundly defeated and pushed back into the wilderness because God was not with them. And so they begin to wander for the next 40 years. The only two men from that generation who were allowed to go into the land were Joshua and Caleb. They were the two who believed God for the impossible. And here's, here's the report that they came back with from the land in Numbers 14, 6 to 9. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephna, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. It's all about perspective. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. You can hear the faith in these two men. That even though the majority was saying there's no possible way to take this land, Joshua and Caleb are saying, let's take it. If God is with us, he will do what he has promised. Well, where's Moses in all this? He is the one that's interceding again and again for these rebellious people. And he is the one that actually, the reason why the whole nation of Israel wasn't wiped off the map. And in the same way, we love to put ourselves in the story. We love to put ourselves as Moses or Caleb and Joshua. But in reality, a lot of times we are the other 10 spies. We are the complaining, whining, rebellious who often turn away from God and his faith-filled risk he's calling us to. 
And just like Moses interceded for the Israelites, Jesus is the great intercessor for us. That even when we whine and complain and lack faith, Jesus intercedes for us and says, my grace is there. Come back, experience forgiveness and grace and walk out and experience what I have for you. So where do we land this plane? Just two ideas. One question, how is God calling you to move forward in faith? There's always things in our life that God is working on and what is God calling you to move forward in faith? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something else that God is calling you to move forward with. And next, take one step forward this week. Not 10, not 20, but one step. Take one step forward in faith. Moving forward will take faith-filled risk. And I believe if we're willing to step out in faith and stop complaining, whining, and rebellion, rebelling and trust that God is going to lead and guide us, we will walk into the impossible and do things that we could not even imagine were possible. Let's pray. God, for each one of us, there's all different points that we can put ourselves in the story. We can put ourselves as the the champion or the hero, but ultimately you are the hero of Jesus. And Lord, we need your grace. And I just pray for each one of us. I know each one of us struggles with sin and unbelief. And God, may we simply confess that to you today. God, I know it's easier to whine than to step out in faith. And God, forgive us and help us to walk in faith. I pray, God, that you would mobilize us individually and collectively to be people who step out and believe you for the impossible and that we would follow your lead and that we would see your presence going before us as we go and accomplish the purposes that you have called us to accomplish. God, may we be people who move forward with you. In Jesus' name, amen.